At CVS Health, we've pioneered solutions to help patients and providers better manage drug costs. We share real-time prescription benefits information at the point of prescribing to show exactly how much patients will pay for medication under their benefits plan, as well as up to five lower-cost, clinically appropriate alternatives the provider can consider prescribing to lower patient out-of-pocket costs. Learn more about our affordability solutions at cvshealth.com slash one goal. Well, the senator said she's being vague on the issue of, actually both of them being vague on the issue of uh, the uh, uh, Medicare for all. No, Hello, Pulse Check listeners. This is Dan Diamond, and if you're like me, you've heard a lot about Medicare for all during the presidential debates. I will not embrace a plan like Medicare for all who can afford it that will leave behind millions of people who cannot. At least Bernie's being honest here and saying how he's going to pay for this and that taxes are going to go up. It's the topic that Democrats just can't get away from. The difference between a plan and a pipe dream is something that you can actually get done. And we can get this public option done and we can and take when you're the- a healthcare reporter like me, you love to see healthcare in the national spotlight. I mean, this is the moment the Politico healthcare team has has trained for. But even for me, the fixation on the details of Medicare for all at every presidential debate, it starts to suck up the oxygen in the room. I am Asian. So I know a lot of doctors. Let me tell you what I think. I think we should have a debate on health care. I would call it Medicare for all who want. That health care is a human right. I want every single American family to have a strong Medicare plan available. Take credit, Bernie. Um, you, you know, you brought us this far in Medicare for all. I support Medicare for all. I always have. I believe in Medicare for all. But the brutal truth is that Medicare for all would be very hard, even if Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren won the presidency, because Democrats almost certainly won't have the Senate votes for it. Democrats have 47 seats right now. They'd likely need to pick up another 13 seats in next year's election to have a filibuster-proof majority like they did with the Affordable Care Act. Looking at the map, the odds are not in their favor. But it's clear that Medicare for all, it's an issue that fires up voters. Our healthcare system, it's clearly broken for lots of people. And if national Medicare for all is a non-starter, what about on the state level? Is there new momentum for an idea that's been kicking around, frankly, for decades, but has never gotten enough traction to become law? So to understand that, I went to Minnesota. We've been fighting for universal health care, I'd argue, for 80 years. And I think it's about time because we're bankrupting our economy. That's John Marty, a state senator in Minnesota. He's been in the state house more than half his life, and his defining issue is fighting for single-payer health care. I called him the Bernie Sanders of Minnesota. It's a comparison that he didn't run from. Like Bernie, he doesn't want to give an inch. Like Bernie, he's facing an uphill battle to win over many Democratic colleagues. But he does have his backers. The League of Women Voters, the nonpartisan organizing group, held kind of a rally. Let's make sure we got the public health in mind, right, um, when we're doing this kind of stuff and not get all wound up in the shiny penny of dividing us against one another, thinking someone deserves health care and someone doesn't. That can't be the way we look at this. To support Marty while I was there. Now, in some ways, the League of Women Voters, they're as far as you could get from so-called Bernie bros. These were older, retired women. 
former school teachers. They, they were only too polite to a DC reporter I like me. Wrote on Albert Lee and, and Mayo oh, a couple years ago. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you for doing that. Yeah, they may have another buyer for their hospital down there, I guess. Interesting, huh? And leading the session was Rose Roach, the head of the Minnesota Nurses Association, who told me that Bernie Sanders is providing national cover for local efforts like the one in Minnesota. I think, I mean, Bernie raised this issue right in a big way in 16 that has it now on a national table for discussion like we haven't seen before. Um, And so it has more traction than it's had. So I asked her, have we hit a tipping point for single-payer health care? I think we're nearing a tipping point. I don't know if we're there yet, but I think we are at a movement moment. One of Rose's key points was that it doesn't matter if we pay for private insurance or government-run health care. So stop it. You know, the status quo is what we need to fear, not the change, because we can't sustain this system. As long as people get covered and have access to high-quality health care, that's her only goal. I keep saying to people, do you really care if the check you're writing is going to the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services or to Blue Cross Blue Shield? As long as you can go to whatever doctor you want to go to that you're comfortable with, that's in your neighborhood, who cares? This is about a payment system. This is about privately delivered, publicly funded health care, right? So with that, I wanted to take you inside the conversation and strategy of Senator Marty as he demands single-payer health care, at least on the state level. We sat down in his kitchen a few days ago as he walked me through his plan. Senator John Marty, thank you for making time for Politico. My pleasure. Your career in the State House in Minnesota, how did that get started? I thought that there were a lot of things we could be doing differently as a society, and I grew up in a family active in civil rights movement and and anti-poverty movement and so on, where we were taught you're supposed to try and make the world a better place. And I didn't conceive of it being politics, but involving politics, trying to work for social change. Uh, my dad marched at Selma, and um, at that time, I, as a kid, seeing who's who's fighting these things, it was priests and nuns and clergy and rabbis and and um, and the African-American community. And so I thought maybe that's the way you make social change and realize, well, no, what they're doing is protesting a government that's not responding properly. So I always figured I'd get involved some way or another. And and I was working in political world. I worked at the legislature for a couple of years and, and had an opportunity, ran for office because I thought I had some things to offer. How old were you? I turned 33 days before I was elected. Is that normal in Minnesota? Uh, depends on, there's some people younger than that, and and I'm now over 60, so yeah. So you've been doing it now for more, more than half your More life. than half my life, yeah. yeah. The decision to start working on healthcare issues, was that something 30 years ago you knew this was going to be a focus, or has it emerged over time? It's, it's emerged, it's always been a focus, but I'm one of those who has too many areas I think we need to change and so focus on a wide range of things. But healthcare was always an issue. And I think early 2000s, uh, 2003 or so, I introduced a bill that, just frustration over how poor the healthcare system was, a bill that set out, I think it was at the time, nine principles I thought any good healthcare system should involve. And I suggested, I, 
I proposed that in the legislation that the Commissioner of Health, who at that time was under Republican governor, Republican commissioner, would design a healthcare system for Minnesota, healthcare reform based on those nine principles. And obviously the bill didn't pass and it wouldn't have happened probably anyway. And about five years later, three years later, four years later, I became chair of the health committee and not seeing any bills from either party that would address those concerns, I designed a comprehensive healthcare reform that would meet those principles. So what year was that? That was 2007, end of 2007. So let's walk through your proposal mm-hmm. and, and what it would actually do. Okay. What, what is the sweeping outcome? It's universal healthcare, sure. but how is it delivered? The simple way to describe it would be, it would be financed, would deliver the same way it is now. Financed um, more the way we fund elementary schools. Um, child turns five years old, they don't have to qualify to go to kindergarten. They just get to go. Don't have to have the right insurance plan, they go. Um, and we have a healthcare system like that. You or I or anybody would be eligible to go um, and you choose the doctor you want, you choose the clinic you want. Otherwise, it's same as anybody else. You use the same provider you want. If you want the same provider, you could go to different ones if you preferred. And so it's for the change for the person, it would be like turning 65, getting on Medicare. You just get on it. For hospitals, doctors, clinics, and everyone, um, they'd be paid by, it's what they call a single payer. It would be one entity, one health plan, one entity paying all the bills, um, negotiating the rates and payments with them. Um, and so they don't need all the billing clerks. You don't need 500 billing clerks in a 400-bed hospital. Our plan would be some people, one person criticized the plan saying, your benefit set, the benefits you provide, the coverage you provide is, I don't know of any other country that gives that good of benefits. And that was meant as a criticism. And I was thinking, that's a problem. You're saying that we shouldn't be trying to develop the best healthcare system in the world. I think we should. I think we're already spending twice what most of the countries spend per person. Um, we ought to get a good healthcare system out of it. Is there is there a consensus in the state house for your plan? No, um, there's huge obstacles to it. We have, I think, over 60 co-authors of the bill, um, not Republican support. We had one Republican who voted for it. Uh, one of the first couple of years we had the bill introduced um, and he came to me a few months later and said, John, I could never vote for your bill again because um, he was being harassed by his party leadership and so on and, and they drove him out of the legislature eventually. Um, so is it fair to say that pushing for universal health coverage in the Minnesota State House is similar to national dynamics around Democrats? Yes, probably or... pretty nas- similar to the national dynamics. One party says, oh, we don't care about the universal part of it. It's people's own responsibility to get their own health care. And my party, the Democratic Party, is kind of, oh, everybody favors universal health care, but, but not really. I mean, we can't really do that. Is your biggest opponent here, Senator, is it the healthcare industry? Is it Republicans? Is it Democrats who doubt the feasibility of your ideas? Um, I'd say it's a little bit of all of them. The biggest, financially, the biggest impact one is the industry thinking we're going to lose money. We're making boatloads of money off this now. We want to keep it. The second biggest one I'd say is Democrats who, well, we want universal health care, but well, we can't really get there. And I mean, our campaign finance system is structured in such a way that 
both parties get money from the hospitals, they get money from insurance companies, get money from pharmaceutical lobby. And so that puts heavy pressure on people not to go for it. So you mentioned there are 60 co-authors, mm -hmm. 60 out of how many members? Out of 201. So it's still it's, it's, less than a third. It's about a third. We've had as many as 70 a couple of years. We've, we've never really had a good chance to push it though. Um, Democrats were in control of the legislature when it was introduced, but not the governor. And he would have clearly vetoed it, didn't want to have anything to do with it. Then Republicans took over the legislature when Democrats took over the governorship. And 2013 would have been our one chance where we had Democrats in control of everything. But that was the time when we had to implement the Affordable Care Act. All the discussions, pro or anti-Affordable Care Act, you're just background noise if you're trying to push something it, else. It sidelined your proposal. It sidelined ours very clearly. Is there energy now for universal coverage in Minnesota? I ask this because I've followed the campaign trail and Medicare expansion is such a big issue in the Democratic presidential right. primary. Has that trickled down? Absolutely. I think there's 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 been a strong feeling about this, and I don't think it's as partisan as it is in politics. I think in the public, you drive through any small town in Minnesota, um, local VFW hall or Legion Club or whatever, you'll see these big electronic billboard signs in front of them, kind of they have on a trailer, they pull it out there. Uh, fundraiser next weekend for the Chris Johnson family because their kids got leukemia or something. Um, people are scared about health care. Is there fear among voters that you've encountered who say, we're scared that expansion would mean we're losing the benefits, we're losing the doctors we have access to right now? That's, that's one of the interesting things in the entire debate about the Affordable Care Act. Uh, the, the one question, if there was a controversy and the attacks on Obama, did he lie or not lie when he promised you could keep your health plan if you liked your health plan? Um, you know, that was kind of a line the health insurance industry cooked up. Who sits there in Minnesota? We got, we got from Medicare Part D for seniors prescription drug insurance, over two dozen insurance companies selling Part D insurance. No senior do I know that really cares what choice they have a pharmaceutical insurance company. What they want is the drugs they need when they need them. They want to be able to buy them where, at their local pharmacy or wherever they want to get them. That's what they care about. In the insurance, all it does is put barriers to that. They pick a plan and they switch the formulary mid-year. You got to stick with the plan and pay into it even though they're not covering your drugs anymore. Presidential debate hasn't talked about this. You got presidential candidates who hate Medicare for all saying, oh, I would never go to take away people's health insurance plan. And I'm thinking, wait, those insurance plans, what they're doing is basically limiting your choice of the things you care about, the doctor, the clinic, the hospital. If people don't know anything about it, they're gonna say, yeah, don't take away my choice. And my pitch is, yeah, let's give them more choice. Let's give them the choice about the things that matter and not the choice of which plan is there to deny them choice. More of my conversation with Senator John Marty coming up, but first a quick break. More in a moment. At CVS Health, we're transforming healthcare in 10,000 communities nationwide with one goal, to make you healthier. That's why we're working across our company to deliver solutions to high drug prices. We provide tools to doctors so they can see what a medicine is going to cost and recommend lower-cost, clinically appropriate options. We've also pioneered digital tools like the Rx Savings Finder that help our retail pharmacists find patients more savings at the pharmacy counter. 
Because at CVS Health, we know that making medicine more affordable is an important part of helping patients on their path to better health. Learn more at cvshealth.com slash one goal. Are you worried that if there is this universal coverage expansion, there would be rural hospitals in the periphery of Minnesota mm-hmm. that are already struggling right. that wouldn't be able to cover their margins? Well, I think that's the problem we have now. That's what we would be trying to address. And the whole thing is we have no nobody in charge of that. Right now, the hospital chains are buying up Mayo and Essentia and these other health plans are buying up as many hospitals as they can. I've written a little about that. You've written about a lot of that. And you've talked about how some of these small hospitals are being closed by entities that are well-respected, like Mayo Clinic. Why? It's not because Fairmont or Albert Lee, Minnesota, relatively small towns, like it's better for them if you close the hospitals. It's better for Mayo's bottom line. You're, you're, you're talking about Mayo close the hospitals in those towns yes. or pull it out services. They, they pull the services away from the hospitals. They buy up the hospitals, they take them over, and then they downsize them and send more people to other places like to Rochester. And that's maybe good for Mayo's business model. That's not good for people who live in Albert Lee. And, and I think that's a bipartisan kind of thing. Everybody agrees, we want the services nearby. And our plan, again, when I designed this plan around these now 10 principles, um, one of the principles is that the health plan must make sure there's sufficient providers out there to meet the needs. Is it is it nine principles or 10 it's principles? Not, it was nine, now it's oh, 10. Okay. And um, no, but it's but those would be legal requirements in the bill. It's section one of the bill is the 10 principles. And then it states that these are legally binding on the board. Can you read the 10 principles? I could read the 10 principles. You may not want to hear all of them, but ensure all, this is Minnesota, of course. So ensure, principle one is? Principle one, ensure all people are covered. All Minnesota residents are covered. Number two is cover all necessary care, including dental, vision and hearing, mental health, chemical dependency treatment, prescription drugs, medical equipment supplies, long-term care and home care. Basically, we're meaning to say cover all necessary care, but we use some examples. Allow patients to choose their providers and we want them to have the medical decision-making in the doctor-patient relationship. Reduce costs by negotiating fair prices and cutting administrative bureaucracy, not by restricting or denying care. Make it affordable to all with premiums that are based on ability to pay and elimination of co-pays. Want to focus on preventive care and early intervention to improve health. You have to ensure there are enough health care providers to guarantee timely access to care. That's what we were just talking about. We're going to continue Minnesota's leadership in medical education, research, and technology. We've got some of the best in the world here. We want to provide adequate and timely payments to providers, which insurance companies and government don't always do. And we want to have a simple and understandable funding and payment system. And I think any good health care system would have those. Ours has none of those, and our proposal would address them all. And so, again, I tell people, yeah, mine's a, what they call a single-payer plan, but I'm not ideologically linked to that. If somebody comes up with another way to address these principles, I'm happy to go there that way. Looking at those principles, how closely do they line up with Bernie Sanders' plan or, or the plan that House Democrats, led by Pramila Jayapal, right. how closely do your principles line up with what they have put out? I think their bills would meet these principles basically they would there might be some things you do to tweak but they don't have 
explicitly spelled out that the health plan, that the Medicare system is responsible to make sure there are enough providers to meet needs. I think there's a, that's a huge question for a lot of people who see Canada's got a single payer system and they have waiting lines. Well, that's not inherent to a single payer system. There are other single payer countries that don't have that problem. But, you know, you've got, um, you've got people with concern about that, and I think for good reason. And I think we have waiting lines in our country. Have you talked with Senator Sanders? Have you talked with Representative Jayapal? I've talked with her very briefly. I don't know them well. I've talked with her very briefly. I've talked with her staff briefly. But um, my pitch is in the next year or two to be working on them with that because I think it would add a lot to the national debate. Are there plans like yours in other states that you're aware of? Not yet. I think there will be. I've written a book about this. I've been... What's the name of the book? Healing Healthcare. I... um, I've been trying to share, and I've talked to some legislators in other states who have already gotten the book. So I've made it available, downloadable, free online and everything, because the goal is to get the message out. I've often introduced bills over the last 30 years that I've heard from legislators in other states, hey, I saw your bill on this, and uh, would you mind if we copy it? No, I, I like the idea. I want people to copy it. And I, and I think that this bill addresses a lot of the concerns that people have about single payer. Um, our premiums based on ability to pay, I think is important because people are used to paying premiums. And instead of paying premiums to Blue Cross or through your employer, you pay premiums to at the national level to the Medicare system. And I think it's important. But our premiums are not based on the logical but illogical um, system where we charge the sicker you are. The older and sicker you are, the more you're going to pay in premiums because that has no connection with your ability to pay. We want to have everybody pay into the system, but nobody have it unaffordable, so premiums are based on your ability to pay. I, I told folks that I know in Minnesota healthcare that I was coming to interview mm-hmm. you, and a comparison that came up a few times was Bernie Sanders, that you're like Bernie Sanders, mm-hmm. just in Minnesota. Uh, I mean, you're, you're wearing a bow tie, which is not something I've ever seen Bernie wear, but I think that's that's one of your signature looks. But, but Senator Sanders has made this a mission, right. Medicare for all or, or bus, basically. Right. He's, he's not looking to compromise. Similarly, it seems like this is your mission. By the same token, you've been at this for years, mm-hmm. and you told me less than a third, about a third of your right. colleagues have supported your idea, which makes me wonder, is there something to be had in just being willing to compromise? Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah. First of all, compromise. I'm not afraid of compromise. Compromise... You compromise on specific policy things. Don't compromise your values. If you believe everybody ought to have health care, which Barack Obama very articulately stated in his 2008 campaign, talked about his mother dying and how he, I think he said, and many people can give you very articulate explanations why everybody deserves health care. You'd never compromise on that. If I can get more people covered, I've worked for 30 years in passing lots of little health care things that make life better for people Right now we're working on it for people with insulin affordability issues, trying to address that. You work on thousands of little things on healthcare. Um, yeah, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. And I think it's, I'd feel I was doing something wrong if I was pushing for this ideal and then saying, well, if you don't get that, well, then tough with everything. That's not my approach. My argument is if you're doing that, you still do the, the little things that in some ways are tinkering, relatively speaking, but they make a real difference in people's lives. On the other hand, I think those people who are working on tinkering and other things like that, they are missing something if they're not pushing for the ideal. If they're saying, well, we'll just tinker for the rest of our lives. I mean, 
Every other industrialized country provides basic health care to people. So what you're saying is people who are, are tinkering around the edges, that that's not going to get it done. There needs to be a big sweeping change right. to accomplish these goals. And those folks should be working for the big sweeping change as well. And those of us who are working for the big sweeping changes should be doing the tinkering as well. I think it's our a politician's job trying to move us forward on health care should be doing little things and big things. So if, if you're moving forward on health care, why haven't more members joined you oh, after over a decade? Oh, well, I, let me tell you, I've had a number of other things that I pushed for many years. Um, LGBTQ rights. Um, I authored a marriage equality bill. I was fighting for that for 30 years, and I got a lot of hate mail in the past on that. 2008, I dropped in a marriage equality bill. The biggest LGBTQ organization minister wasn't in favor of marriage yet. They wanted it, of course, but they were fighting for civil unions because that was politically feasible. So just so I'm understanding, what you're saying is you pushed for LGBTQ marriage equality even as the organization wasn't sure they were ready for right. that. Five years later, through a lot of twists and turns you couldn't have predicted, five years later, we have marriage equality in Minnesota, passed by the legislature. One gay man came up to me afterwards and said, he was apologizing because he told my fr his friends that I was nuts because I thought we could pass it in five years. And you can't predict the future. If you don't fight for that, it's never going to happen. And same thing with this. I, I'm saying that there's so much you can't predict about politics. And if you don't fight for it, it's not going to happen. And so my pitch is that the progressive movement of today, and by that I mean people who believe in human progress, who believe we should move and we could accomplish things like universal health care, if we were in charge in earlier generations, it illustrates how timid we are. If we were in charge during the abolition campaign, I suggest that we still have slavery, but we'd have limited slaves working 40-hour work weeks. We'd be so proud of that progress we made that we'd forget we still have this ugly thing called slavery. If we were in the Depression, we would have fought for Social Security, but we'd probably, why don't we do a pilot project, 500 people per state or something? And no, earlier generations... People, when you believe in something, you fight for it. The women suffragettes, they didn't have a chance. Men made all the decisions who elected them. Men did. They didn't have a chance. And it took them 50 years, but they got it. Well, we've been fighting for universal health care, I'd argue, for 80 years. And I think it's about time because we're bankrupting our economy. We were, in 1960, I think we were about 5% of our economy. One twentieth of our dollars were going to health care. And it was one... one 20th, one-tenth at one point, now one-sixth. Going on one-fifth of our economy is swallowing up more and more, and the trends are all bad. And we say, well, we can't do anything. We'll tinker. Well, I think the, the, the counter-argument is that some of that was good because the more people working in healthcare versus, say, working in coal mines, mm -hmm. maybe that's good for the economy when it's one-twentieth to go to right. one, one Right. I'm not saying what the magic number is. I think one-sixth is a lot more than it should be. And a lot of people working in healthcare are checking boxes and filling out forms, not healing people. If your healthcare plan led to universal health coverage in Minnesota, but also led to 10% of the workforce getting laid off because mm -hmm. we don't need billing clerks right. and other middlemen, is that a fair trade? Uh, first of all, it's nowhere near 10% of the thing. There was one estimate by a Lewin group of a single-payer proposal from Minnesota. They calculated it would be, roughly speaking, 40,000 people laid off. 40,000 out of 40, how many? 40,000. Well, we have 5.7 million Minnesotans. 
um, just for comparison, any month. But they're not all. They're not all in healthcare, though. I mean, if if the healthcare right, population. Right. Oh, absolutely. I'm not yeah. saying this is small. Yeah. I'm not saying this is small numbers. This is a huge issue, and we ought to address it. We have to. We have a moral obligation to address it because we'd be causing that layoff of forty thousand people. But to put it in perspective. In any given month, their state labor folks say that there are about 150,000 people who leave jobs in any given month. About four times as many would be laid off from this in a one-time situation. If we know this is going to happen, we plan in advance for it. We provide funding for job retraining, dislocated worker benefits. You can do that. And frankly, a lot of the people who work in the billing and insurance fields, a lot of them are already healthcare professionals. Um, I use the illustration of the former CEO of United Health Group, the biggest health insurer in the country, a guy named Bill McGuire. He's a medical doctor. He wouldn't even need retraining. He could just switch jobs. We couldn't match his $100 million a year salary, but, you know, we wouldn't need retraining. And there, there are a lot of LPNs, um, nurses, who are filling out forms. They could be helping in the medical setting on medical stuff rather than checking boxes and so so yeah, we, we have an obligation to do it, and that's one of the big concerns, and I'm not trying to minimize that at all, because I think we, we have to talk about those things. And is that something where there have been ads run against you or not run against yet. this plan? They, they will. They will run so against you. So you're prepared for that. We're ready for that. You, you put this universal health care fight in the context of things like suffragettes mm-hmm. and, and slavery, like huge, right. dramatic issues for, for the nation, and that's, that's how you're viewing universal health care too. Are we, in your estimation... Are we halfway through the fight for universal health care? Are we a quarter of the way in and we still have 80 more years to go? Um, I've talked to a number of people who worked in health care reform who, um, who, well, they're getting closer to supporting this now. Max Baucus, who's the one who wrote the Affordable Care Act. He's the now, senator who ran the Finance Committee, the Democrat. He was chair of the Finance yes. Committee. He was a Democrat. Um, From Montana. He wrote the bill, and, or he gave credit at the bill signing to his follower, his healthcare aide, who had come from WellPoint, the second largest health insurer. You're to talking work about Liz it. Fowler. Yes, yes. yes. Um, Liz Max, Fowler, his top aide, yeah. Max, Max Bach has, has told media in, in Montana that he now supports single payer. And of course, he's retired from the U.S. Senate now, and it would have been more helpful if he had done it 10 years ago when he could have done something about it. But the point is, I think a lot of people who thought there were other things we could do. Well, the Affordable Care Act, they thought, might get us there. Well, it's pretty clear it's not going to. Was there a light bulb moment where you realized this was going to be a major focus for you, that universal health care was needed because a constituent came to you or you were reading something? No light bulb moment. Thousands of little flashing lights of tragic story after tragic story and people dying from it. Um, you know, I've heard too many of the sad stories over the years, and just kind of, it just builds up and you get, we should be angry about this. Have state leaders, have Democrats specifically, ever dissuaded you, much like we were talking about national politics, where there are concerns that maybe, maybe universal coverage isn't right for now, let's aim for something lower. Have you felt that pressure on the state level? Um, pressure in terms of, well, we'll just set that aside for now. Push, they want to push it off the side and so on. And I think, and that's largely to Senator Sanders' impact that it's not being pushed off the side so much. Um, These days. Not, yes, it's in the last four years, three years. Um, I think a lot of people, a lot of people still don't know what single payer is. 
but a lot of people, the concept of universal health care that everybody's in, um, I think a lot of people have woken up to that. And I, again, you got to remember where Sanders was coming from. He was taking on a woman that nobody would challenge, Joe Biden and dozens of other people who wanted to run. They weren't going to run because nobody could beat her. You're talking about Hillary Clinton in yeah, 2016. Yeah, about Hillary Clinton. She yeah. was unbeatable. And and Bernie Sanders starts talking about these things. He outdraws her in terms of supporters, number of supporters, in terms of crowds, in terms of enthusiasm, in terms of everything else. And um, and I think it wasn't because Bernie is such a charismatic guy. I think it's because Bernie had good ideas that people were hungry for. You supported Senator Sanders in 2016. Yes, I'm not. I don't spend a lot of my time on national politics, but yeah, I was a supporter of his. And where do you stand on the 2020 race? I I have not picked. I'm not endorsing. I don't. I don't think people are sitting out there waiting here with what John Marty wants for who he wants for president. Well, I'm I'm curious. I'm I, I'm in your kitchen asking yeah, you. Yeah. Well, I, I I like Senator Sanders and I like Senator Warren as well and so on. And why are and, you waiting on on an endorsement or a decision? I, I just time? haven't spent the time to look into the details of it and figure it all out because it's a whole range of factors you have to look at. And, but no, I I. I just am tired of when they go to these debates and somebody slams them down saying, oh, was, you're going too far, taking away choice of health insurance to people. I thought, that's the health insurance industry line. And you're going to repeat that and say, that's what you want to protect is the health insurance industry line. You can choose your health plan. Your health plan is going to deny you access to certain types of treatment, going to deny you access to certain providers. And to me, um, I want to have a candidate who's sincere about this and a whole lot of them become over real sincere about it now because it's popular. Is Joe Biden ever going to be sincere enough for your liking on this? His, um, his plan would not cover everyone. Right, his campaign is a His plan that. would not cover everyone. And I think that's, I, I think I wrote a commentary for a publication a year or two ago when somebody wrote that Democrats shouldn't push too hard and too fast for single payer. Um, the time's not ready for it. I thought, we've been, we, we're moving too fast was the line in the column he wrote. And I said, you know, we've waited since Francis Perkins during the, during the Roosevelt administration in the 1930s was proposing universal health care. Harry Truman was proposing it. Um, we've been waiting 80 years. Uh, that's long enough. Last question. You've been in the State House for more than half your life, over 30 years. If you leave politics and this isn't done is your career a failure i think i've accomplished lots of other good things but i'll be very very disappointed so i've told people i'm not willingly going to go i mean voters and others have saying that plus our health does but um no i i'm not willingly going without winning this one and and yeah some people mean so i'll be around a long time but no my goal is to i had one colleague who was big on health care a number of years ago said it's not going to happen in her lifetime and I, I thought, I want you to live a long time, but I don't want to wait. <laughs> and um, I think we can do it. And I, and yeah, I, I think nobody's going to think it has a chance until after it's happened. Well, Senator John Marty, if you do accomplish universal health coverage in Minnesota, I will come back. We can do this in your kitchen, in Good. the state house, wherever makes the most sense. Thank you for making time for me. My pleasure. That's it for Pulse Check this week. My thanks to Senator John Marty, the League of Women Voters, and Rose Roach for sharing their time and thoughts for the show. Annie Reese produced this episode. Dave Shaw is the executive producer. You can find Politico Pulse Check by searching on your favorite podcast app, and you can help us 
by leaving a rating or review. That allows new listeners to discover the show. Next week, you'll hear a Politico Pulse Check coming to you live from the Milken Institute's Future of Health Summit with bonus episodes. Thanks for listening.